production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Dan Malthrop, I'm Chief Executive here. I'm also a proud member. And I'm pleased to introduce our speaker today, a woman who has overcome overwhelming odds, a woman Oprah Winfrey refers to as her, quote, all-time favorite guest, the author of The Awakened Woman, Reimagining and Reigniting Our Sacred Dreams, Dr. Terari Trent. We often think of education as the main pathway out of poverty. There may be no other story that better illustrates the power of an education and, and the tenacity of the human spirit than that of our speaker today. Dr. Trent grew up in rural Zimbabwe without electricity or running water. She was not permitted to attend school. Instead, she was married at age 11, and by age 18, she had three children. Through it, though, she never once surrendered her dream of pursuing an education, and she fulfilled her dream. By the late 1990s, with the help of Heifer International and other aid organizations, she persevered, moving to the United States, obtaining a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and then a doctoral degree. Today, Dr. Trent is one of the most internationally recognized voices for quality education and women's empowerment. Her story has inspired millions, including, of course, Oprah Winfrey, who we mentioned before, Winfrey donated $1.5 million to help Dr. Trent rebuild her childhood elementary school, ensuring a quality education for the next generation of children. And Dr. Trent's mission to provide universal access to quality education while also empowering rural communities continues through the work of the Terai Trent International Foundation. To date, 11 schools are being built in Zimbabwe, improving education for more than 5,000 children. Dr. Tran also serves as an adjunct professor in monitoring and evaluation in global health at Drexel University School of Public Health. And in 2017, her latest book, The Awakened Woman, was published and recently received the 2018 NAACP Image Award for Instructional Literature. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Dr. Terai Trent. In his autobiography, Long Walk to Freedom, Nelson Mandela states, it is only through education that the daughter of a peasant becomes a doctor, that the son of a mine worker becomes the head of a mine, and that the child of a farm worker becomes the president of a great nation. I know no other weapon in my life to fight social injustice except education. I know no other weapon to fight my own abuse except education. I talk about education, I breathe education. I talk about the empowerment of women, I breathe the empowerment of women. I realized earlier on in my own life that the silencing of women is the very thing 
that becomes a disease in many societies. When women are silenced, we are all silenced. But when woman, one woman is awakened, you realize that the whole world, it begins to heal, whether you like it or not. <laughs> women are going to be the game changers. You see, I come from this long line of generations of women, women who had been married very young before they could define their own dreams. My great-grandmother became the 50th wife to my great-grandpa, married off, exchanged for a cow. My grandmother would go through the same pathway, became the 60th wife to my grandpa, and I would follow the same pathway, and I realized by the time I was 18, I was a mother of four without a high school education, but I wanted education. So I realized earlier on that without an education, I was going to pass on the same disease, the same silencing that I felt had been passed on to me. How many of you are familiar with this relay? It's a race where you have four, five, Girls or boys, they are running and they are holding this stick and the aim is to run with these sticks, to pass on the sticks to the next set of runners and the next they run up until they win the game. What is that race called? Relay. Relay. And what is that stick that they are holding? Baton. I always visualize when my great-grandmother, when she was born, she was born holding this stick that I'm calling the baton of poverty, the baton of early marriage, the baton of illiteracy, the baton of being born in a society where she was oppressed because there was a regime that never supported, never saw the value of black people. And she runs in that race with that baton. She runs so fast, she hands that baton to my grandmother. My grandmother grabs that baton of poverty, that baton of illiteracy, the baton of early marriage. She runs so fast with that baton, she hands it over to my mother. My mother grabs that baton of illiteracy, the baton of early marriage, the baton of any ugly circumstances that you can think of, and she runs and she hands it over to me. Oh my goodness, I never wanted that baton. It was never part of my race. <laughs> you know, I was born in a country that was known as Rhodesia, Southern Rhodesia. He just corrected me. Oh my goodness, Bob. He knows quite a lot. <laughs> Today, the country is known as Zimbabwe. So I grew up during the war, the war that liberated my country. And I remember during the war, because we grew up in the rural areas where there's no running water, no electricity, nothing. And as we are being rallied to talk about the war, this tall guy, he comes holding this gun and he, he talks about the importance of education and he says, do you know why you are not educated? Women, and I'm listening, and he said, to educate is to empower, to empower is to liberate, to liberate is to enable individuals to gain dignity. And I wanted that dignity. 
so badly. And here I was, 22 years, expecting my 50 child, no high school diploma, nothing. Living in an abusive relationship. Our country had just gained independence. And all of a sudden, these American women would come in and they had a kind of a walk as they were coming in, carrying their backpacks, and they would talk about research. And I'm thinking, what are they talking about? And I remember this particular woman, may I borrow your glasses, please? Yes, yes, yes. And may I borrow your bag? Please, yes. Yes, yes. And they would carry these bags, and they would walk with their glasses, and they would wear these glasses, and they would open something in their bag. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And put the glasses. Blah, 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 blah. And I am thinking, wearing glasses is a sign of education. I wanted those glasses so badly. <laughs> the woman here name was Jola. She asked me, what are your dreams? Me, black woman, oppressed, marginalized, going through my own stuff. How can I have dreams? I never realized that as women, we are supposed to have dreams, we are supposed to have hopes. And I kept quiet and she said, young woman, please, what are your dreams? When I opened my mouth, I became a chatterbox. Oh, I want to go to America. I want to have an undergraduate degree. I want to have a master's and I want to have a PhD because I had heard these women, they were talking about undergraduate, a master's and PhD and the glasses. So I said, I want that. <laughs> and she looked at me and she said to me, Terrorine, if you believe in your dreams, they are achievable. And she used the word Tinogona. Tinogona. And I am thinking, is she crazy? I can have a PhD? <laughs> I said, yeah. I ran to my mother. I said, mother, I met a woman who made me believe in my dreams. That was music to my mother's ears. And my mother said, Tererai, if you believe in what this stranger has said to you and you work hard and you achieve your dreams, not only are you going to define who you are as a woman, but you are going to define every life that comes out of your womb and generations to come. Write down your dreams the same way we bury, and bury them the same way we bury the umbilical cord. You see, I come from a culture where when a child is born, they snip the child's umbilical cord, the birth cord. They take a piece of an old dress from the mom and they tie that umbilical cord and they bury deep down in the ground with the belief that wherever this child goes, whatever happens to their life, the umbilical cord will always remind them of their birthplace. My mother said, if you write down your dreams and you bury them, 
no matter what happens to you, despite the abuse in your life, despite the silencing that you are feeling in your life, those buried dreams will always remind you of their importance. I realized in that moment that my mother wanted me never to pass on that ugly baton that I talked about. She wanted me to redefine that baton so I don't have to pass on that baton to the next generation. Well, I wrote down my dreams. I want to go to America. I want to have an undergraduate master's PhD, and I was ready to bury my dreams. When my mother said something so profound, you see, my mother was a very quiet woman, and she said, Tererai, read back your dreams. And when I did, she said, your dreams will have greater meaning when they are tied to the betterment of your community. Holy moly, what does that even mean? <laughs> I'm looking at my mother. She said, your dreams will have greater meaning when they are tied to the betterment of your community. I would end up writing my 50 dream. Maybe I just wanted to please my mother. My 50 dream, when I'm done, I'll come back and improve the lives of women and girls so the girls, they don't have to go through what I had gone. And I went and I buried my dreams. It would take me eight years to achieve my GED. I wasn't a smart student. Eight years of failing, but eight years of never giving up. Eight years of trying to get that next fee tuition that was needed for me to correspond for my high school diploma. And uh, during that time, we were still under the British rule where the British education system where you write your papers, your classes, and you post it to some place called Cambridge, somewhere, I don't know. And um, you wait three, six months, you go to the post office, you open that brown envelope. The brown envelope comes and it has a U and it has a D, ungraded failure. And I go back, try to find the next tuition, and I would uh, write again and post it to that place, mail to that place called Cambridge. It comes back after three, six months, and I have an F and I have a D, uh, eight years. I have my high school diploma. <laughs> I was a woman on fire. Then I found myself at Oklahoma State University where I did my undergraduate in agriculture and I did my master's in plant pathology. Ah, I was so happy. But there's something about America. I had come with five children. I had no scholarship. I would work three jobs take 18 hours of coursework. One day my kids were brushing their teeth and I realized their gums were bleeding. I knew they were missing fruits and vegetables. Back home, some of you who have been in Africa, you can just go to a patch of land, you grow your vegetables, you grow your fruits, and they are in abundance, and you feed your kids. We grew up eating fruits and vegetables. In America, all of a sudden, I'm feeding my kids hamburgers and french fries. <laughs> I went to the university. I said, I can't do this. I know I have a dream, but gosh, this is tough. The university says, well, we can go to a local store. At the end of the day, they throw away their fruits and vegetables, and you can get some of that. I hope you don't mind feeding the children the fruits and vegetables that are wasted. I said, no, I don't mind. We went to the store. The store manager says, you know, in this country, um, 
um, you know, if you give somebody the fruits and vegetables that are wasting or shriveled, if you feed your kids and if anything happens, you might end up, you know, suing us. <laughs> Me? I have not dying to sue nobody, please, please. So they ended up saying, okay, here's what we are going to do. We are going to put, I'm going to package these fruits and vegetables, put them in a cardboard box, make sure that four o'clock you come here and I'm going to place that cardboard box near the trash can. Four o'clock, come and pick the cardboard box. Go home and feed your kids, Are you okay? 99% I was late to that cardboard box because I had three jobs, I had five kids, I had 18 hours of coursework to take and I would go and find that cardboard box, it's already in the trash can and I would go into the trash can, retrieve whatever had spilled over, wash, feed the children and ask myself one fundamental question, who am I even to complain that my children are eating from the trash can when I know there are thousands if not millions of children in Africa who are on the streets who are eating from a trash can that no Somebody washes at least the American trash can. Somebody washes that. Where am I even to complain that I live in Oklahoma in a trailer where we don't have electricity and when summer comes it's so hot, it's horrible. But who am I to complain when I know there are hundreds of women in America and in most Western countries that are living on the streets with nothing. They have no shelter. They are homeless. Who am I? Those thoughts grounded me. And now, I'm done with my master's. And I'm thinking, you know, before I go for my PhD, I need to find a job. And I applied for a job. Got accepted at uh, a place called uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. I went to that place for an interview, got the job. And one day, I'm walking in the corridor, and this woman says, I know you. And I'm thinking, oh, who? He said, yeah, I think I know you. I realized, oh gosh, that was the woman that I had met in the village a long time ago who had inspired me. Hey, the universe is always there to connive for our success. <laughs> the first trip back home, I went to that place that I had buried my dreams dug them up, checked going to America, undergraduate masters, buried back those dreams, realized I still have two more dreams, came back to the United States, uh, you know, enrolled myself at Western Michigan University, got my PhD. And I realized as I was about to get that small paper that now says you are a PhD holder, it had taken me 20 years from the day that I buried my dreams to get that small paper. And I'm walking to that podium looking at those professors wearing those weird gowns and what have you. And they were about to hand me that small paper and I felt like a lawyer who had rested her case to the world. And if there are lawyers in this house, please forgive me, but here was my closing argument. If we give education opportunities to those who are torn down and marginalized by the social use of our time, they can achieve their dreams. If we give education opportunities to women and girls, it is the best investment, the best thing that anyone, any society could do, because women are game changers, women are healers, we 
need women to be part of our tables. We can't just live in societies that marginalize and silence women. Well, now, now I am happy. I am happy, but I couldn't find sleep. And I'm thinking, dear mother, why did you make me write that fifty dream? Come on. And I said, I remember Jolak. She said, it is achievable, Tinogona. And I said, I'm going to come up with these T-shirts and I'm going to get Tinogona. It is achievable on the T-shirts, on the design. And I'm going to sell these thousands and go home and build schools and educate girls and create empowerment platforms for women. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Well, I only sold 20 t-shirts and mostly to my American friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized uh, I didn't have a marketing degree. <laughs> <laughs> then I got this most memorable phone call of my life the call from Oprah Winfrey, and she donated 1.5 million US dollars. And today, in partnership with Oprah Winfrey, we have managed to build 11 schools in the most remote places and benefiting more than 6,000 girls and boys that walk every day into those schools. Hey, many have seen my story and many have watched the videos and many have come to the conclusion that oh poor Terry she must be a victim but let me tell you this no I am not a victim here is how I have learned to define who I am I am a dreamer I am the mistress and master of my own destiny. I refuse to let the past define who I am. I refuse to let the current challenges in my pathway become the narrative for my future. I defied the rules of my father. I defied the norms of my culture. I refuse to keep silent about societal expectations that marginalize women and girls to be submissive at the expense of their dignity and I will never be silent. Well, you might be asking, eh, come on, girl, come on, girl. Uh, you know, there are issues in life that may, you know, make you be silent, but I have decided no, because in my life, I realize there are two kinds of hungers in our lives. When those hungers grab you, you have to decide which one. There is the little hunger. The little hunger is all about immediate gratification. The little hunger is all about how many Facebook likes did I get today? That's the little hunger. But the great hunger, the greatest of all hungers is hunger for a meaningful life. Ultimately, as human beings, we become bitter when we lead a life without meaning, when we lead a life without substance, when we lead a life without service. We need meaning in our life. What hunger drives the work that you do? It has to be connected to the greater God. 
My mother knew the success of our life. The secret to that success is not about the personal education. It's not about the financial goals that we have in our life. It's not about, oh, this, that, that I'm going to have or that. But it is about how that education and how those personal goals are connected to the greater good. The Native Americans in this country, they have taught us so much. Humankind has not woven the web of life. We are one thread within it. Whatever we do to the web, we do it ourselves. All things are bound together. All things are connected. Our very survival is connected to the survival of others. Ladies, many have asked me, Tererai, you must be a lucky woman to have achieved all your dreams. And I say no. I am not a lucky woman, no. I don't believe in lucky, no. I believe in opportunities. Creating opportunities for others to excel. Somebody looked right into my eyes and saw something that I wasn't seeing and created that platform for me to be able to stand here and for someone to say, Dr. Terry Trent, we are social animals. We need one another. I stand on the shoulders of giants. I stand on the shoulders of champions. I stand on the shoulders of others who looked right into my eyes and never saw my poverty, never saw my smallness, saw something greater that I wasn't seeing in myself. And they said, here is a shoulder, baby. Climb it on. I stand on the shoulders of others who saw the baton and say, no, I want you to run with a different baton, a baton that you redefine so you don't have to pass it on to your own children. I have a daughter who graduated with a mechanical engineering degree. When we came here, she was nine years old. If I had not given her the education, if somebody had not asked me, what are your dreams? If somebody had not believed in me, I would have passed on that same baton, the baton of poverty, the baton of illiteracy to my baby girls. I have another one. She's doing biomedical sciences. She wanted to come here. She's at, uh, what is that place? Kalamazoo, Western Michigan University. She wanted to come here. It just tells me about our Ubuntu. Ubuntu back home, we are talking about I am because we are. Since we are, therefore I am. It's going to take great leadership. It's going to take our recognizing of the importance of unsilencing women, the awakening of women. We can heal this world. For those of you uh, joining us via our radio broadcast, that was a standing ovation. Today we are enjoying a Friday Forum with Dr. Terry Trent, founder of the Terry Trent International Foundation and author of The Awakened Woman, Remembering and Reigniting Our Sacred Dreams. 
We're about to begin the audience Q&A, and we welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, and those of you joining us via our radio broadcast or our webcast. If you'd like to tweet a question, you can tweet it at the City Club, and our uh, staff will work it in. We, you can do the same with the Facebook live stream. Just leave it in the comments section there. Holding our microphones today are the uh, Youth Forum Council Chair, Tiolu Orasanya, and Content Coordinator, Bliss Davis. May we have our first question, please? Good afternoon. I'd like to say thank you for being here. Um, I'm just, as your sorority sister, I'm so proud of what you've accomplished. Um, I'd like to uh, ask you, I taught school for 40 years, and you and I know that there are so many uh, children who are traumatized, uh, have horrible, horrible lives. And for them, would you please just let us know what kept you going? So what kept me going, you know, I talked about this word opportunity, it's all about opportunity. Somebody created opportunity for me. And I think we have a moral obligation as a society to create opportunities for these kids. Because when you feel going down, when you feel tired, overwhelmed, you need somebody who can say, hey, hey, here is my shoulder. We live in societies that believe in this thing that you call individualism. I wish if that word could just be trashed in a trash can. It's our collectiveness that will make these kids excel in their lives. They need someone, they need a mentor. In my book, I talk about the power of sawirership, a sawira someone that you can rely on, someone who sees the need and say, hey, this baby girl, you know, she's very smart. She's very creative, but she's coming from a poor family. I'm not saying you come from that, but I'm just giving you an example. <laughs> she comes from a poor family. I can be her mentor. I can help this baby girl. But sometimes we only care about me, me, and my babies and my kids. But guess what? To heal this world, we need all of us. My mother used to talk about the power of the invisible ladder, that we are all climbing this invisible ladder, and it is rungs. There are those who are at the bottom of the rung, and there are those at the top of the rung. We have a moral obligation, a sacred obligation, those who are at the top of the rung, to pull the sisters and the kids and the boys and the men so we all enjoy life of equality. Um, <clears throat> I am so moved by your, um, by your speech and kind of tearful. And my question concerns the girls who recently returned by Boko Haram and they were told not to go to school. Um, any idea what will happen to them and uh, if they will have the courage to go? I think it's a policy issue that governments really need to come to a table where they discuss some of these things and find solutions. By the way, that's uh, Nigeria and uh, I am from Zimbabwe. But I always think that um, countries within neighbor, neighboring countries, they can also come together and really help the situation because there is no point 
in this generation to have girls that are being denied the right to education. You know, there are about 62 girls worldwide that are being denied the right to education, and it means those girls are being silenced. How can we live in a society that silences women just like that? And us who are privileged, we can also do our best to reach out to those nations. We can. Dr. Trent, I so appreciate your passion for education. And as you continue to travel in the United States, I do hope that you share that passion with our American students. They need to have an infusion of that kind of passion. But I have two questions. One, what is the state or the status of women in Zimbabwe today? And then two, can you talk a little bit about what it means to become a certified sacred sawira? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So the state of women in Zimbabwe is the same maybe as many, many women. You know, uh, yeah, we are doing our best, but it's still terrible. We need more women to be empowered, financially empowered. We need more women to be able to be in a position where they can achieve their own dreams, educate their own children, educate themselves, we need that. But here's the thing, it's not only Zimbabwe. I want to early in the morning tomorrow, go to your TVs and just open the TV. I can bet you that you will hear the sexual harassment of women in the United States of America. I can tell you, you can see many girls, they are being told you are not thin enough, you are not beautiful enough. So the silencing of women is everywhere. It takes different forms. And in America, it's much more difficult because we always think we are so empowered. Oh my goodness. Hey, hey, show me hey, your president woman in power. <laughs> we live in Western countries where we can't even have women in power. The highest office can't be resided by a woman. And yet we talk about the empowerment of women all the time. And I've said, we can talk about the empowerment of women all we want. It's only when you walk it, we can match all we want. It's only when we do something practical about it. And I'm doing my piece. So the Sawira certification, I'm bringing women together. Where I'm saying women, let's talk about those soul wounds, the batons that we passed on from grandma to you. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what silences you. When we begin to understand what hurts us, then we begin to talk about our own dreams and how we can achieve those dreams. And when we have that collective sense of our own dreams, of who we are, then we can go to other communities and train other, uh, other women. Because women, we need a different plan that can really empower us. That's what I am trying to do with this Awira training of trainers. So it's in Santa Fe. And we are going to have the Native Americans with us. We are also going to have the healers with us. Those who believe in the sacredness of womanhood, of being a woman, the empowerment of women and what it takes 
and we are going to do that. So I provide those kinds of trainings because I really want women to have the tools and most of the tools are in the book. Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, don't forget to read chapter five of the book. Dr. Trent, thank you so much. They promised us inspiring and wow, were you inspiring. Um, I'm, I'm interested in the woman with the glasses and yes. the pack that came, <laughs> well, this one too, but, <laughs> but that came and, and asked you about your dreams mm -hmm. and brought your dreams to, to, mm -hmm. to you so that you realized that you could have dreams and that was a legitimate thing to do and that you reconnected with her. Can you tell us some, a little bit about her? Joe, like when I, um, when I um, realized that this woman who was asking me, who are you, I remember you, um, I realized her name is, because she's still alive, Joe Luck. She was the CEO and president of HEFA International. But when I met her, I didn't even know. In uh, that time, she was just a program officer for the organization. And now, some 14, 16 years later, there she was, the president of this amazing organization. It's a humanitarian organization working to end poverty in the world. And um, she retired now, and we still remain very close friends. She's now my Sawira. I am also her Sawira. She mentors me all the time. She created a platform for me, and she taught me, Tererai, you got to give back. And that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Thank you for coming. And I'm going to go home and tell my friends to watch on Sunday because they can't <laughs> miss this presentation. I have a question about your father. Was he supportive of your mother's encouragement of you? You know, uh, you know, uh, patriarchal societies are very, are very difficult. And I, um, I always think that uh, all the men uh, in my community, including my father, they were just following a pathway of what they had seen. We are products of our environment. We should not demonize our men or we should not demonize anybody. We have to understand where they are coming from. So my mother was this matriarch woman this healer, this strong woman, quiet but strong. You know, you know, you know, we talk about the river that is so deep and it flows and you feel the energy of the river. That was my mother. She had she was a woman of very few words, but when she says them, those words they settle in your bones. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. I have a variation on a question that uh, Barbara Danforth just asked you. Um, I'm the son of immigrants, so I'm a little bit partial to immigrants. My parents had a grade school education, and, and yet they had this love of education and made sure that my sister and I were educated. Have you noticed the same kind of disparity or dichotomy in this country between people, uh, children in particular who are native-born and the children of immigrants? And Because I feel that there's like a lack of passion on those who are native porn, have you noticed that yourself? And uh, and what to what do you attribute that to? Like, why why do people like you, you know, people from other countries, seem to value and have this passion for education, which I frankly I don't see in people who were born in this country. I can write a book about that, <laughs> <laughs> but let me just say that 
if I had been born in this country, maybe I would not have achieved what I have. There is beauty in adversity. It's a gift in many ways. But let me also say, I don't agree with the fact that the native born are lazy. We got to understand where they are coming from. We got to understand the oppression that they, their forefathers have gone through or their foremothers have gone through. This baton that I'm talking about, it's real. You find it in America, the baton of oppression. But we need to create this platform for all of us to thrive. Otherwise, we'll end up thinking, oh, they are lazy. That's why they cannot do that. Look at Dr. Trent, what she has done. But I'm telling you that we, we just need to do something as a society because you can't judge these folks with just terrorai. Terrorai had a grandmother who said, terrorai, here are the rituals for you. You came from these womb, the wounded wombs. But the wounded wombs where you came from, there was also wisdom. I want you to take that wisdom. How many of you in America still have grandmothers that they can sit around in an open fire and talk about these things? We need the wisdom of women. We need to create the platforms. Uh, back over here, sorry. <laughs> but then we'll get over there. But um, oh, you want to go there first? Yeah. I'm okay. That's cool. Yeah. Um, my question is: Do you, after you plan on, I mean, yeah, after you uh, like fix everything that's in your country, do you plan on inspiring other girls in other countries? Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes, I think I'm doing that. Don't you feel inspired right now, baby girl? <laughs> I do that, I do that. I, you know, I have many countries that are calling me to come in and work with young girls and women as well. And you know, I believe uh, my message will probably resonate with them and I want that message to resonate with you. And I want you, all of you girls and boys, when you go home, Think about your own dreams in life. Write those dreams and plant them, and you'll see them grow and grow and grow. Dr. Trent, um, before the program, we were you and I were discussing um, sort of conflicted feelings around colonialism and post-colonialism. And, um, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you see the post-colonial situation today, particularly in light of international efforts to provide aid to African nations, uh, and in particularly war-torn African nations, mm -hmm. and um, the continuing tension mm -hmm. that exists there, and how you see that affecting Zimbabwe's future as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting that um, uh, during a colonial system, before the independence of a country, the countries would thrive because they, they had a umbilical cord elsewhere that would always make sure that these countries, they don't collapse economically, socially. But in many cases, the, there were few who were benefiting from the, from, from, from the service or from the dependence of the mother country elsewhere, like in Zimbabwe. We, 
during Rhodesian time, we never ran out of food. We were known as the breadbasket of 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 the country of of uh, of the region. Uh, we were we were known for having high literacy rates. We were known for that. But when you look closely at what was really happening in this country, we had what we call Group A schools. These were white schools, and there were then black schools, which were being run poorly, and the education system was very poor. So when we gained our independence, like many African countries after gaining their independence, the mother who was supporting withdraws all their funding and their aid. And then we find these countries, they struggle. Many African countries, after gaining independence, they would take about 20 and if not 40 years for them to really gain back to where they were. Then we suffer. There's something about colonialism. There's something about it because one, it denies the local people the right to their education. There's a lot of poverty that goes in, but nobody's talking about it because it's affecting what they call the so-called minorities. But we'll get there. I, with my foundation, I have come to, a, to the conclusion that it's only when Africans, and especially the African woman, it's only when they can create their own foundation with the business model that's true empowerment. But as long as we remain begging, every two, three years, we have to write that grant proposal, we beg and we get it. As long as we remain begging, we'll never get out of our poverty. We need to be, when we talk about empowerment, it has to be really true empowerment, economically, socially, and it has to be homegrown. But what is happening now is, None of it. We still have a model where we beg. Ah, surely every year we have to beg. We have to beg. When that money goes out, we go back, and then all of a sudden you hear there's so much corruption in Africa. Who is not corrupt? Tell me. Yes, there's so much corruption. There's also corruption in America. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes, Western countries, they perpetuate the corruption. Because when you have these big oil companies coming in into these African countries, rigging oil, somebody's being paid to get that. But we don't see that. And when they come in and cut these big trees, because some, someone in America wants to sit in an office with nice mahogany desks or whatever, those trees that are being cut, the land remains barren. There is environmental degradation. No schools are being built, nothing. Mining and mining and mining. We just have to come to a place where we say, we are brothers and sisters, let's just come up with something that works for everybody. All right, I'll 
didn't come to talk about politics. <laughs> this is something of a follow-up to the last question. Uh, you, you've talked about the difficulties of funding education mm -hmm. uh, in your country. Where are the teachers coming from who are willing to go into the rural areas uh, and accept these positions? You know, I bow my head to teachers all the time. Teachers are amazing. Educators are amazing. They work in some of the most difficult places in the world, and they still do it. They still show up. Um, you know, especially in rural areas, there's no electricity, there's nothing. You still find teachers who are saying it's a calling. But we need to help them. We really need to. And in our Western countries, if we don't work together, you'll continue talking about the immigration laws and policies. We'll still come here. We'll still come here. But if we work together and empower economically those countries in a way that these countries, they are home growing their own businesses, their own economies. I don't think they want to come here. I don't think so. <laughs> we really don't want to come here. But if we are empowered economically, we can enjoy our own resources, enjoy our own countries. And you can also come and get education in Africa. It will be a beautiful place, a beautiful planet for all of us. One outcome of women's education is often more control over family planning, how many children you have. And I ask you if you have seen in your country a gradual embrace of the idea that smaller families make sense and are attainable. Uh, and therefore, families begin to be more able to lavish educational and other resources on a smaller number of children. Have you seen that happen? Oh, yeah. And you know the reason why we tend to have many children? I have six. And I had six before I got my education because there's always this belief that if I have many children, maybe one day they'll take care of me. <laughs> Seriously. But if I am educated, I don't give <laughs> because I don't need those many children. I can only, you know, I can only have one or two. But the reason why many third world countries we have many children because the women are not educated. The women are thinking, well, my social income is going to come from this child. So if I have seven of them, they'll one of them or two will end up probably buying me a small house. So education plays a fundamental role in our lives. When we get educated as women, we decide, do I want to marry Jack? No. Do I want to have two kids? Mm, I just want to be me. Or I just want to have one. Yeah. That's what education does. How come American women, you have two, one, three kids, you don't have ten? Because we are educated. That's true. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed the words that you expressed about your life. Um, one of my questions about empowering women is I often have thought in life that sometimes women don't want to be powered, at least a certain percentage as opposed to thinking that women are being oppressed by men. And I just wondered what you thought about that. 
You know, I, I really don't think that um, in, in, in all cases women are oppressed by, by men. Women are, are oppressed by the society and the laws and policies that we have put in place. And you begin to ask who is the author of those laws and policies. Was there a blindness to this gender dynamic that we want to build? Yes, at times women we oppress ourselves because sometimes we don't have a role model. Sometimes we have never been given that position where we can excel. Yes, so it's only up until we create those platforms to empower women, to create those platforms for women to really start thinking about, is this the life that we want for ourselves and our children? Let's give women an opportunity. Dr. Trent, thank you so much. Your words are just wonderfully inspiring. There's some students here today, so I have a question regarding role models. I believe very strongly in role models. They've benefited my life. So if you could tell us some of the characteristics that were important to you and your role models, and how do you find your role models? And then I have another question following up. What's it like being one of your children? <laughs> I'll start with that one. I, had, um, <laughs> I have a boy. He was going to Oklahoma State University taking classes, and apparently he was taking classes from the same professors that um, I had also taken classes from. He called me one day. He said, Mama, this is just too much. Every class that I attend, and they say, oh, your mama used to submit the assignment in time. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm done. Let me tell you this. I'm going to transfer to another university. <laughs> I leave this university behind. <laughs> role models. You know, I always think that um, a role model is like a sawira, the way I described in my book. The ones who, when they see your vision, they want to be part of that vision. They really buy into it because they, they believe in your greatness that you can do this. It's not about just giving ideas and what have you, but it's about connecting this individual with resources, connecting them with knowledge being there for this person. At times I wonder when people say, you know, I am mentoring 100 people, and I'm thinking, how do you do that? When you have fewer, then you can give them all you have. You give them your time. You listen to them. You understand who they are, where they are coming from. You also understand their vision and their dreams. I think that's a role model that I would want in my life. Somebody who is my champion, somebody who, who stands with me, somebody who sees my need and tell me it's too much. Uh, maybe let's look at it this way. That's the role model that I want in my life.
Today at the City Club, we've been enjoying a Friday Forum with Dr. Terry Trent, founder of the Terry Trent International Foundation and author of The Awakened Woman, Remembering and Reigniting Our Sacred Dreams. Today's forum is the annual Robert D. Grease Forum on Inspiration, made possible by a generous endowment gift from his wife, Sally, and the Grease Generation Six Fund. We give a special welcome to Bob and Sally and their friends and family who have joined us today. Thank you so much for your support and for your presence here. Today's forum is also part of our Authors in Conversation series, supported in part by the residents of Cuyahoga County through a public grant from Cuyahoga Arts and Culture. We are grateful to many of you here today for your support of City Club programming through that public grant. Our hospitality partner is the Metropolitan at the Nine Hotel. And lastly, we welcome students from Citizens Leadership Academy, Flow Homeschool Co-op, and St. Martin de Porres High School. Student participation in City Club forums is provided by many foundations, including the William E. Weiss Foundation. We thank all of you for being here today. The sale of Dr. Trent's book, The Awakened Woman, is provided by a cultural exchange, and Dr. Trent will be signing copies afterwards. That brings us to the end of our program. Thank you, Dr. Trent. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Our forum is adjourned. Have a wonderful weekend. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.